Thank you for downloading this podcast from Victory Outreach Manchester. We pray that this message will bless your life as you listen. Praise the Lord. Amen. You can take your seats. Amen. I'm going to... I have a privilege today of sharing the word. Amen. I want to thank um, our pastors, Pastor Paul and Sister Vicky. Amen. Not just simply for the privilege of speaking, but for the privilege of serving under their leadership. Amen. How many know we have good pastors? Amen. We have good leaders. Amen. And I'm thankful for that. And so many of us today, we may be going back later on to watch England play. Amen. In the World Cup, England, Senegal. Amen. And so in honor of that, I've named my message, It's Coming Home. I haven't, but if I did, in honor of England, I'd probably have to stop it halfway through, because that's usually what England do in the World Cup. They stop halfway through and then go home. But there you go. But the title of today's message is called Radical Love. Radical Love. And what I want to speak about today for some of us For some of us, it may not be something new. It may be something we've heard before, but I'm a firm believer. But when it comes to listening and reading and hearing God's word, that sometimes when we hear God's word and we read God's word, something new will stand out to us. But sometimes when we hear God's word, God reminds us of some of the old things that matter. Because how many know in the busyness and the pressures of life, sometimes we might lose sight of what truly matters. But then even sometimes when we hear God's word, it's simply a confirmation that you are going in the right direction. To keep doing the right thing. Peter said this in his letter. It's not our scripture for today, but I want to make mention of this. He says this in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12 and 13. He says, Therefore... I intend to keep on reminding you of these things, though you know them already and are established in the truth that has come to you. I think it is right, as long as I am in this body, to refresh your memory. I love that. But Peter says to them, even though I know you're already doing this, I want to remind you about why you're doing it how to do it. He reminds them, even though you're doing well, even though you're moving in the right direction, he reminds them, there's a reason why I'm saying this to you today. And it is my prayer this morning that as I speak this word that God has given me, that for some of us, it may be something new for you. For some of you, it may be a reminder to you about what stands at the center of our faith as Christians. And for some of you, it might just be an encouragement to say, I'm going to keep going in that same direction. And so I want us to read today from Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 to 11. So we've got a few verses to read. But it says this, If then there is any comfort in Christ, any consolation from love, any partnership in the Spirit, and tender affection and sympathy. Paul says, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or empty conceit. But in humility, regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, 
but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave and assuming human likeness. And being found in appearance as a human, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him even more highly and gave him the name that is above every other name, that the name given to Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. How many of us can say amen to God's word today? This is rampant with theology, with encouragement. So much is in these few passages. But yet so much is in the book of Philippians itself. We've been studying Philippians as a Bible study before prayer on Wednesdays, and there is so much in there. But I want to talk today about radical love. And as we do that, I want us to do a little background on Philippians and on Paul's life. You see, the epistle to Philippi, the letter of Philippians, was one of 13 letters that the Apostle Paul wrote in the New Testament. Each one of these 13 letters stands as unique in its own right. Every single letter, every single epistle was written to a certain place at a certain time and for a certain reason. In fact, you could say that all of the Apostle Paul's letters were a response to something that was taking place in the church, something that was taking place in Paul's mission and Paul's calling. The Apostle Paul authored these 13 letters, and at different, in different areas of these letters, Paul even ascribes and honours some of his brothers in the faith who helped him write these letters, people like Timothy and Silvanus and other people that Paul partnered with to write to these churches. But as unique as each and every letter is, Philippians itself is a very beautiful letter. It's a letter that brings great encouragement when you read it. It's a letter that is infamous for various statements and messages that we preach in church that you might have put on social media. At some point, you might have prayed it in your prayers. Philippians is infamous for certain statements like, for God is faithful to complete the work that he has begun. We've heard that said. Philippians even says, do not be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication make your requests known to God. How many of us have said those prayers for you? might have posted it on Facebook. You might have sent it to someone as an encouragement. Paul even says in Philippians, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's not Paul saying he can do anything he wants to. That's Paul saying in any season I'm in, God will sustain me, God will keep me, and God will strengthen me. We can say amen, but that scripture doesn't tell James that he can lead this church in worship. We can say amen to that. That scripture doesn't tell you, but whatever you wake up thinking, you can do. But it's a promise that God will sustain you and keep you, whether you have much or you have lack. Philippians is infamous for certain passages we use. But yet, even in that, there's certain things that I want to draw out today about this letter that I believe will challenge us, 
I believe will encourage us and I truly believe will shape us to be the people, to be the families and to be the church that God has called us to be. How many of us today want to grow and be everything that God has called us to be? Today, this epistle, this letter gives us a basis and a model to build our lives on. The first thing about Philippians it's good to know is it's one of four letters by Paul that is known as the prison epistles. Philippians was written by the Apostle Paul while he was in prison. He wrote this letter encouraging and ministering and building the church while he was in chains, while he was imprisoned. We know this by certain statements he makes in chapter 1, verse 7, he says this, It is right for me to think this way about all of you, because I hold you in my heart. For all of you are my partners in God's grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. He goes on to say in verse 13, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is for Christ. You know what I love about the Apostle Paul? The Apostle Paul wasn't green when it came to life. He wasn't naive about what life looked like. The Apostle Paul wrote some of his letters when he was on mission, some of his letters when he was on, with his brothers and sisters, some of his letters when he was in prison. The Apostle Paul knew how up and down life could be. The Apostle Paul knew that sometimes life gets difficult. Sometimes life is not easy. The Apostle Paul knew that he came to Christ with a story, with a background. How many of us have got a story that has brought us to Christ, right? How many of our stories are not clean cut? There's been ups and downs in your life. There's been good times and there's been bad times. The wonderful thing about the Apostle Paul is that he ministered no matter what the season looked like. He ministered whether his emotions were up or down, whether he was going through good times or bad times. The Apostle Paul was faithful to the purpose and the mission God gave him. When you read the Apostle Paul's life, there were certain experiences he had that may have taken other people out, but he was still ministering. You see, the Apostle Paul knew what it was like to be built up, and he knew what it was like to be torn down. How many of you know what it's like to be built up by people, but you also know what it's like to be pulled down by people? The Apostle Paul knew what that was like. The Apostle Paul knew what it was to be rich, and he knew what it was to be poor. The Apostle Paul knew what it was to be imprisoned, and he knew what it was to be free. He knew what it was to be accepted, and he knew what it was to be rejected. The Apostle Paul knew what it was to be treated like a hero. And he also knew what it was like to be treated like the enemy. The Apostle Paul had the full experience of life. The full experience of what it meant to be human. Of what it meant to live in this world. But the one thing that Paul was convinced of, above all else, whether I am being built up or pulled down, whether I'm imprisoned or I'm free, whether I'm rich or I'm poor, there is no limit to God's grace and God's mercy and God's power working in and through my life. Paul was convinced that no matter what my emotions are saying, no matter what my body is saying, no matter what my feelings are 
I say, no matter what I see when I look around me, I am convinced that the gospel of Jesus Christ, his mission, his purpose for my life is not limited to the chains that I bear, the limitations I wake up with, the weaknesses that I might see. He is not limited to what I am going through. Apostle Paul was convinced... He was convinced that God could work in every season and every relationship and every circumstance. He was convinced. That's why. That's why he can make this statement. And I love this statement. In Philippians 1 verse 12, he says this to the people that were hearing this letter. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually resulted in the progress of the gospel. I want to say that one more time. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has resulted in the progress of the gospel. I want to let you know today, and I want to rephrase this. I want to say today, I want to let you know, But what has happened to you to this point has the potential and the opportunity to result in the progress of the gospel in your life. Whatever has come against you to this day has the potential and the opportunity to birth greater faith in your life. Whatever disappointment has come your way, it has the potential to turn around and bring hope and faith in your life and your family and those you come into contact with. Whatever sickness has come your way to this day. I want to let you know that it has the potential to turn around for God's honour, for God's glory, for the salvation of your family, for the building of this church, for the reaching of this city, for the establishing of this nation. Whatever has come your way today, it has the potential to turn around for good. Joseph said it at the end of Genesis, what man has meant for evil, God has turned around for the good. That is God's story through the Bible. Whatever bad decisions we've made, whatever people have done to us, I want to let you know it's not the end of the story, but God can work it out for the good. Paul said to them, this is what I want you to know, church. I want you to know that what you see that has happened to me, they saw Paul in prison. They saw Paul chained. They saw Paul struggling maybe. They saw him wrestling, but he said to them, in my struggle, I want you to know that God is working it out for the good, for his honor and his glory. He says, yes, pray for me. Yes, help me, support me. But he says to them, don't give up on me. Don't walk away from me because it is working out for God's honor and God's glory. Is there anyone today that you've been through some things to this point? You might have made some bad decisions. Some things might have been done to you. But yet today you can say that whatever has taken place, it has the potential to work out for God's honor and God's glory. You know what I love about the Apostle Paul? He's there in prison, but he is an apostle, leader of leaders, arguably, potentially, at this point of history, the most influential Christian there was. And yet even in his apostleship, he didn't beg them to get him out of a situation. He ministered to them in the situation. 
There are a lot of Christians, and I'll put my hand up sometimes, that are waiting for the situation to change before we'll start ministering. Waiting for the situation to change before we'll step out. Well, God, when you heal me, I'll praise you. When you heal me, I'll give. When you turn it around, I'll praise you. When you turn it around, I'll serve. And Paul wasn't waiting for the chains to fall off. He knew that when he worshipped and served, that God might break those chains or God might just use those limits to minister and speak to his people. We can't wait for the situation to change. What I love about the Apostle Paul is chains or no chains, limits or no limits, he was still ministering. He was still speaking. He could have made it. He could have said, I'm an apostle, get me out of here. You know, I'm a celebrity, get me. I'm an apostle, get me out of here. Not that I watch that program. But what I will say is, man like Baba. But this is the thing. He wasn't waiting for his situation to change before he believed for change in other people. But you know what was key? Paul didn't just say, listen, God's going to work it out and that's it. Paul told them how God was going to work it out. Paul told them how to stand in difficult times. Paul told them how to minister when things weren't always working their way. When you read through the epistle to Philippi, this Philippians letter, there's certain themes that come up, bearing in mind that Paul wrote this from prison. Some of the major themes he spoke about from that prison cell was the joy of the Lord, was unity, and was having the mind of Christ. Listen to what he says in Philippians 1, verse 9 and 10. He says, this is my prayer, that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight. He says this here, to help you to determine what really matters. Or he makes it, it said in another way in a translation, that you may approve what is excellent. And he goes on to say, as he opens a letter like that, he begins to close the letter with this statement in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. He says, finally, finally, he said, in everything Paul had said, in everything Paul had been through, in everything Paul had spoken about, he'd spoken about his chains, he'd spoken about his struggles, he'd spoken about people that had come against him, or people that stood with him, he said, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, and whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. As for the things that you have learned and received, and heard and noticed in me, do them, and the God of peace will be with you. Paul connects God's peace with what we fix our minds on. He makes this statement, and I feel it's worth repeating. He says, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. You know, he makes this statement where he shows that sometimes in our lives, we might need to dig a bit deeper to find those things that are worthy of praise. Because he says, if there is anything, you know, today, each and every one of us, no matter what we come in with, has something in our lives that is worthy to praise God for, that is worthy to fix our minds upon. 
And he says, sometimes you might need to dig a bit deeper into the archives of your journey. Sometimes you might need to look to a certain direction. But if there are things that are going wrong, there is always something to fix your mind on for what God is doing in your life and in your situation. But you know, sometimes what we do is we live like this. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is false, whatever is annoying, whoever is getting on your nerves, whatever is going wrong, whatever is hard, whatever is difficult, where, things, where you might struggle, think about these things. That's sometimes how we live as Christians. Whatever is annoying, talk about it to people. And the God of peace will be with you. Whatever I find hard, I'm going to tell Facebook, and the God of peace will be with you. You know, sometimes it's hard to focus on what is good when you think that what everyone else has is better. That's what social media does to us, is that we think that everything else is better because we look. This is what Stephen Furtick said. I love this statement. He says, insecurity comes when you compare your behind the scenes with everyone else's highlight reel. And it's like you look at your own life and think, I didn't want to pray this morning. I don't, my prayer lasted 20 minutes, or I don't really know this about the word. And we see someone else standing up there preaching, and we think they know the word so well. You don't know they've been preparing that message for six months. They've been reading that verse over and over again. Of course they sound like they know what they're talking about. But yet in our lives, we look and we think, I don't know what to do because we compare ourselves to other people. But yet the Apostle Paul said, even in setbacks, I'm going to keep speaking. Even in disappointment, I'm going to keep ministering. Even in certain times, I'm going to keep praising. And even when I feel insecure or not good enough, I'm going to keep pushing forward. But you know what I probably love most about this picture? Is that Paul was writing to the Philippians while he was in jail. If you go back earlier in Paul's life, Paul was sat in a Philippian jail. He knew what it was like to be in that situation. He knew what God was capable of doing. If we go to Acts chapter 16, it says this. I want to read a few verses, but this begins to set a real model for how we approach God and the relationships that God has given us. In Acts 16, it says this, verse 16. One day, as we were going to the place of prayer, we met a female slave who had a spirit of divination and bought her owners a great deal of money by fortune-telling. While she followed Paul and us, she would cry out, These men are slaves of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. She kept doing this for many days, but Paul was much annoyed, or very much annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I order you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. When they had brought them before the magistrates, they said, these men, these Jews, are disturbing our city and are advocating customs that are not lawful for us, being Romans to adopt or observe. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates had them stripped of their clothing and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they had given them a severe flogging, they threw them into the prison and ordered the jailer to keep them securely. 
Following these instructions, he put them in the innermost cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. And just the last two verses. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was an earthquake so violent that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were unfastened. The first thing that we see here today, but it was Paul and Silas's worship that opened doors for them. It was their worship that opened doors in their life. And I believe today that there are some of us in here, that there are doors that God wants to open for you, that they're going to come when we engage with God in worship, when we begin to pray and fast and believe for certain areas of our life that we've been waiting to change. It was the worship that opened doors. But you know what speaks even louder right here? is that Paul had been in prison and experienced the chains being broken and the doors being opened. But Paul also experienced prison in this letter to the Philippians where the chains hadn't been broken, the doors hadn't been opened, all the limitations hadn't been removed, yet it didn't change his worship, it didn't change his service, it didn't change his emotion, it didn't change that. And here's an unpopular statement, but true is that we don't always know how everything's going to work out. We don't. We can believe. We can trust. We can pray. But we don't always know when those limitations are going to be broken, when those chains are going to be removed, when that door is going to be opened. But what I love about the Apostle Paul is that whether those chains fell off tomorrow or next year or five years from now, he said, I'm going to keep worshipping. I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep serving. I'm going to keep believing. And sometimes we may not know what the result's going to be. Paul wasn't trusting in the chains being broken. He was trusting in the God who breaks chains. He was trusting in the God who works miracles. And sometimes the miracle in your life is God is going to come in and he's going to transform that situation all around. You're going to get healing. You're going to get financial breakthrough. You're going to begin to see that faith build. That is the miracles of God many times. How many of you have experienced healing at some point in your life? Salvation for family members. Give me a wave if God has come and changed and transformed the situation at some point in your life. But sometimes... Sometimes a miracle might just be you ministering while the chains are still there. Sometimes a miracle might be that you still come to church even when the situation hasn't changed that week. Sometimes a situation might be you praying for someone when you're still waiting for your prayers to be answered. Sometimes a miracle might be giving when you know that there's something you've got to pay for next week. Sometimes a miracle might be you giving someone a word of encouragement when you're still waiting for your word. Sometimes the miracle might be in how you minister rather than things changing around you. Listen, I remember when I, when I first became a Christian. You get embarrassed, embarrassed about it now. But I remember when I first became a Christian, right? people would get words around me all the time. Special speakers would come in and they would get words. Everyone would have at least three words and I'd still be standing there in the service waiting for my first word. Like someone speak over me. Someone say something powerful about my life. Just someone's, and people would be getting prayed for. This person called forward, this person, and I'd be standing there like someone. 
And then I'd say, okay, you know what? I've obviously haven't prayed enough. So I'd get up in the morning. Lord, there's a special speaker coming. Speak to me. Give me a word. Speak something over me. And I remember one speaker. And he was giving words to different people. And I was standing there and I was pretending to worship. I'm like, okay, need a word. Need a word. Need a word. And he called me up. He goes, let's go. And I was like, this is my time. I'm going to take nations. There's greatness in me. Miracles abound. And he called me forward and he goes, can you get me some water? <laughs> I, was like, I was like, nah, man. I didn't like your message anyway. But you get this thing where you depend on people. You depend on something external when God has placed it in you already to fan the flames, to stir the faith. And don't get me wrong, if you've got a word, praise God. I've had a couple since then. But you can learn to depend on what people, what happens to other people, or what's going on in other people's lives. You see, Paul was convinced that as long as he fixed his mind on Christ, that God would work those things out for the good. That's why he could say, what has happened to me has worked out for the advancement of the gospel. Paul loved radically, no matter what was going on in his life. Paul never stopped serving and loving. The second thing that is quite unique about this letter to the Philippians is that over recent decades it has become known as a letter of friendship. A friendship letter. This was a genre of writing back in Paul's day and it wasn't friendship because we like the same food. It wasn't friendship because we're rooting for the same team. It wasn't friendship because we like the same things. It was friendship because this church had partnered with Paul in his mission and purpose and the gospel. How many know you can have friends that you like to hang out with? You can have friends that you enjoy going out to eat with. You can have friends that you love watching football with, whatever it may be. But those friendships that are rooted in the mission and purpose of and calling of God upon your life is the partnerships that you need to hold on to, that you need to invest in, that you need to believe for. Paul wrote to this church and he said to them, this is what he said in verse 3 to 5 of chapter 1. He said, I thank my God for every remembrance of you. Always in every one of my prayers for all of you, praying with joy for your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. You see, back in those days, if you were in prison, you didn't have a TV, you didn't have three meals a day, you didn't have those things. In prison, your meals were dependent on the people outside of that prison that would come and see you. You didn't know if you were going to make it to the next day. You didn't know how long you would last. And this church of Philippi had sent one of their church, a man by the name of Epaphroditus, beautiful name, Epaphroditus. If there's anyone in here called Epaphroditus, it's purely a coincidence but it's a name Epaphroditus. And he went to Paul and he ministered to him in jail. He brought gifts, he brought prayers, he brought words of encouragement from the church. And Paul was able to turn around and say to them, you have partnered with me in my suffering. You partnered with me in my struggle. It wasn't just they spoke about it, they partnered with him. They brought practical gifts. They prayed for him. They stood by his side. You know what they did? They came alongside Paul in his struggle in his mission, and in his purpose. And Paul was able to say throughout chapter 1 of Philippians, he says, some have stood with me, and some have stood against me. 
He says, some have seen me in my chains and come alongside me and loved me and served with me. And he said, some have seen me in my chains and took advantage of me. You know, we all have those people in our lives at times, right? You've got people that will come alongside you and you've got people that will take advantage of you. But Paul was not fixed. Remember, fix it in our mind. He was not fixed on those that have stood against him. He was fixed on those that stood with him. And what I love here, he says, I thank God at every remembrance of you. Every time I think about you, it brings me joy. Every time I think about your prayers and your words and your gifts, it gives me strength. And you know, I thank God today. I thank God for those that have stood with me in my journey. I thank God for those that have stood with me over my 24 years since I came into Victory Outreach. I'm thankful for those who set time aside to teach me when I first came into the church and even since then. I'm thankful for those who came to see me when I was low and I didn't know how to worship. I didn't know if I could go further. I'm thankful for those who came alongside me and prayed with me and encouraged me and believed in me. I'm thankful for those who recognized the gifts in my life before I saw them in myself. I remember when I first came to church and I remember the first time I ever got asked to do a public speaking announcement. And I remember it clearly for a few reasons. One was I hated speaking publicly. And believe it or not, I still don't really love it. I'm not one of those that's like, let me up front, let me up front. But yet, I remember because I sat down before church and I sat in a cafe opposite our church. This was down in London. And I had a big fry up. It was like 8.30 a.m. I had a big fry up, sausages, bacon, beans, you know, the whole shebang. And then a Diet Coke because I was living healthy. <laughs> As you do. You ordered a massive fire, but you get a Diet Coke to make yourself feel good. And I remember going up to make this announcement, and it was like a 60-second announcement, and it took me about seven seconds. And so you clearly know that I didn't do what I was meant to do. I got so nervous. I got so, like, I don't want to be in front of people. And as I walked off the stage, someone came up to me. This was 22 years ago. Someone came up to me and said, I see a speaking gift in your life. I was like, in seven seconds, that is impressive. <laughs> That is very impressive, but I thank God that they saw something in me. I remember the first time I took up the offering in youth ministry, and I remember just a minute or two when I just took up this offering, there's about eight of us, and I think I was probably the only one that gave, and I took up this offering, and someone came up to me afterwards and said, there is, some, there is a preacher and a teacher inside of you. I remember sitting in a small group reading the Bible together, and, and, and I, didn't, I was just starting out in how to study this thing and how to read it. And as I was beginning to read it and make comments, someone turned to me at that table about 20 years ago and said, how you read the Bible, God wants to use that. He wants to use that desire to study and to read. And all these words, I remember. I remember them when people saw something in me I didn't see in myself. When people believed in me and I didn't believe in myself. And what I needed to do was keep putting myself in the right environment. Keep putting myself in the right place. Reminding myself of the words that have been spoken. The messages that have been preached. And people saw giftings and callings in me that I 
did not see in myself, but slowly and surely, as I kept going and I kept worshiping and I kept serving. I remember in 2005, Pastor Anthony gave me my, gave me my first opportunity to teach on a foundations course. I didn't think I could do it, but I stepped out and I did it and I gave it my best. And I remember each day since then, all I keep doing is just saying yes, even if I feel insecure, even if I feel I'm not good enough, even if I feel someone can do it better. You know what one of the most freeing things is? If you think someone else can do it better, it's because they probably can. And that's okay. Because God's not looking for the most talented. God's not simply looking for the one that can use the most big words or can make the funniest jokes. God's looking for the one who says, Lord, in whatever it is, just use me. In whatever way I can make a difference, just use me. I'm thankful for the people that have opened their homes to me when they didn't need to. I'm thankful for the times I've had nothing and then that phone call would come. I remember days, even when I first moved here, but we came up to Manchester with about five pounds in our bank account, me and my family. We had a job lined up, but we didn't know where each meal was going to come from. And I'm thankful that someone was praying and listening to God. And that moment where I didn't know where the meal was coming from, a phone call. Are you at home? Yes, there's a delivery of shopping. I'm praying, and I believe that this is what you need. I'm thankful for the people that have stepped out and used those gifts. I'm thankful for the leaders who day in and day out lead this church, constantly making big decisions, difficult decisions, serving faithfully, serving integrally. I'm thankful for our pastors. I'm thankful for my pastors back in London. I'm thankful for the people that God has placed in our life. I want to let you know that I could go on forever with this. I'm thankful for the people that didn't give up on me when I wanted to give up on myself. I'm thankful for the people that have stood with me when I made mistakes. Is there anyone in here today that is thankful that someone has believed in you, that someone has entrusted you? See, the radical love says if someone opened their door to me, I can't close my door on someone else. Radical love says if someone pulled me into their life, I need you to pull, I need to pull you into my life. Radical love says that when I had nothing, you gave and you prayed. I might not have much, but I can give something. I can pray this prayer. I can send you this word. I can take you out for coffee, whatever it may be. Radical love says what has been done for me, I will do for others. See, but you know what the crazy thing is? Even in the midst of all of those things that I'm thankful for, all of those things that I'm grateful for, there's still been times that I have been in that prison. And I have had to fix my mind. And I've had to keep my heart pure. And I've had to praise. They couldn't praise for me. They couldn't worship for me. I had to fix my mind on that which was noble and pure and virtuous and trustworthy. I'm the one that was in those limitations and it was the praise that I mustered up. By the grace of God. See, sometimes even in everyone God places in your life, it's still you that's got to fix your mind on what is true and noble. In Philippians 2, Paul says four times in the first few verses, he says, be like-minded in verse 2. In verse 2, he also says, be of one mind. In verse 3, he says, have lowliness of mind. And in verse 5, he says, have the mind of Christ. Or he says, let the mind that was in Christ also be in you. 
And I want us to talk just briefly as I begin to draw this to a close. I want us to talk about these first couple of verses in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 to 11. Verse 1 to 11. But in verse 5 and 6 and 7, it says this. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave and assuming human likeness. And being found in appearance as a human, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Paul says that Christ's life serves as a model for how we should love one another, for how we should serve one another, how we should come alongside each other. Paul lays out Christ's life as a model for how we should respond to each other, how we should serve and bless each other. And I love it because Jesus' life gives us a model of how we are to minister, how we are to love and how we are to serve. Paul doesn't just say, hey, just serve people, just love people. He says, look at Christ's life. Look at the way he lived. You know, these verses are packed full of theology. Talks about the divinity and the humanity of Christ. But even more so at this point, Paul's saying that it is Christ's attitude, it is Christ's approach, that at one time he was there in that heavenly domain, in the glory of God, but yet he decided and he chose that he was willing to forsake those privileges in order to come and wrap himself in human flesh, to take on your nature and my nature, human nature. And in that, in that moment and that time, Christ humbled himself. Jesus humbled himself. And for relationships to be what God wants them to be, it takes humility. It takes emptying ourselves of the right to be right, the right to be in power, the right to have control. Sometimes we take on the attitude of Christ that says that I will humble myself for the sake of this relationship. But you know, when we look at Jesus' life, there are certain things that he did that we can model our lives on today. And there are many things. Jesus loved the unlovable. Jesus stopped for people. Jesus drew close to the outsiders. But there is one thing in particular that I want to focus on now that Jesus did. And that is that Jesus shared a table with people. Jesus entered into people's homes. Jesus loved people around the dinner table. Jesus loved people in their living room. Jesus shared his house with people. You know, they say that Jesus' ministry took place in three places. Jesus' ministry took place in the synagogues. That's like church. Jesus' ministry took place in the public spaces, like the work and education and street corners and our communities. But not only did Jesus' ministry take place in the synagogue and the public sphere, but Jesus' ministry took place in the private homes. And for that ministry we see is that ministry needs to take place in church. How many thank God that we get to come to church and gather together and worship and praise? 
But Jesus' ministry also took place out there in a public space, in workplaces. You know, Jesus called one of his disciples while he was at his desk working. Jesus' ministry took place in the workplaces. Our ministry needs to go from this church to our workplaces, our schools. I would love and believe we could start Bible studies in schools and colleges and universities and even some of our workplaces and businesses. But yet Jesus' ministry also took place in the homes. I want to give us a little glimpse as I begin to wrap this up. In Matthew 8, verse 14 to 15, Peter's mother-in-law was healed at her home. In Matthew 22, when Jesus wants to give a picture of a future kingdom that is to come, he pictures a giant meal, a banquet gathered together. In Mark chapter 2, verse 13 to 17, Jesus is in the living room with tax collectors and sinners, as the Bible says. And it says Jesus began to speak to the people there. In Mark 7, verse 24 to 30, someone receives deliverance in their home. In Luke chapter 7, verse 38 to 50, a woman who pours out this fragrant oil upon Jesus' feet and begins to wash his feet with her hair receives forgiveness from God and receives new life. In Luke 10, Mary and Martha learn in their home what the true priority is in their service and their worship of God. In Luke 11, 37 to 54, teaching takes place from Jesus in someone's home. In Luke 19, we read about a man by the name of Zacchaeus who took Jesus to his house. And there Jesus says to him, salvation has come to you and your household. And in Luke 22, as Jesus is about to go to the cross, Jesus teaches them what his death means through a Passover meal around a table. N.T. Wright says this, kind of biblical scholar. He says, when Jesus himself wanted to explain to his disciples what his forthcoming death was all about, he didn't give them a theory, he gave them a meal. I believe radical love takes place here in the church when we gather together. It takes place in our workplaces, in our public spheres. But it also takes place in our homes. It takes place in those where we draw people close to our families, where we draw people close to our homes. And you might say, well, I don't really have a home like that that I can bring people into. What's beautiful about that is that Jesus is, when Jesus was resurrected, he cooked a meal on the beach for the disciples. And he said, come to me. I can't help but feel at this time that God is drawing us to a deeper place of intimacy, of course with him, but with each other, sharing life together. You might not have a home, you say, I can't bring people into my home. We have life groups. We have small groups. We have places where we gather and we can cook together, pray together, study together. Jesus' ministry there was deliverance and salvation and healing and teaching. They didn't just take place on a Sunday morning. They took place in people's homes, in small groups. And in this season of Christmas, I believe it's a reminder for us, not just for this month, but a reminder to us that radical love draws people close. Radical love opens our doors to people. Radical love prays with people and comes alongside people. 
just as God has done with us, just as people may have done with you. Let's do this with each other. I want you to stand with me today. And we're going to take a few moments in worship. But I believe there may be some of us today, and we'll make an auto call in a few moments, but we're going to worship first. There may be some of us today where you've been waiting for certain situations to change before you step forward and begin to take your place in God's plan and God's purpose. I want to encourage you today that God can use you in the midst of whatever is taking place. I want to even encourage you and challenge you today that some of you may need to focus on that which is noble and pure and trustworthy. Maybe your mind has been focused on everything that you're not, everything that other people have. I believe that as we fix our mind on those things that the God of peace will be with you. And maybe even today, you say, you know what, yeah, I come to church, I've got that part down. But I know there's something more. I know there's something else. I know there's relationships that I need to build. I know there's places that I need to go. I want to encourage you today that now is that time to draw closer to God in that environment of relationships, in that environment of drawing close to people, encouraging and building and strengthening one another. I'm going to ask us for these next few moments all across this place, just lift your hands. Each and every one of us are going to ask you and just begin to worship him. Let God's spirit begin to speak and to move through our lives. And as a worship team leaders, where his spirit is, there is freedom and liberty. Well, let's lift our hands and begin to worship. Victory Outreach Manchester is a family in the city, and we are here for you. Visit us every Sunday in person at the church building or live on Facebook and YouTube at 10am. Go to our website, vomanchester.org.uk, for more information.